You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. Hey, greetings. Welcome to the Steve Day Show podcast here on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, powered by Conservative Review and CRTV. My name is Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with us as well. If you want to join us and let us know what you think about what we think, steve at stevedace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. And before we get into the nuts and bolts of today's show, I'm going to call a brief audible here. Uh, one of our uh, viewers on, uh, here on, and listeners here on CRTV uh, named Becky Bauer, um, Bauer, I should say, Becky Bauer, uh, sent me this email. Would you please ask everyone you know to pray for us? Though many in the Houston area have already been rescued, many are still either waiting for rescue or lost everything after 25 inches of rain since Hurricane Harvey's landfall. As we wait to see where now Tropical Storm Harvey hits next in Texas, up to 25 inches of additional rain is forecast for Houston, while the reservoirs are still rising at a rate of four inches per hour, despite controlled releases flooding neighborhoods adjacent to them. More frequent releases were just announced to hopefully compensate. If the Army Corps of Engineers is unsuccessful in lowering the reservoir levels, levels, the risk is an uncontrolled and massive flash flood the entire length of Buffalo Bayou from West Houston through downtown to the Ship Channel in East Houston. And as I'm laying this out for audience, by the way, I want you to keep in mind, this is one of the five largest cities in the United States. Yep. So we're talking millions of people in this path. Becky writes, I live less than a mile from Buffalo Bayou in West Houston. Last Sunday morning, the rain was falling at a rate of over two inches per hour at my home, and the street flooding rose to just three feet away from my townhouse. My 83-year-old mother and her neighbors were not so blessed. She lives on the second floor of a condo complex overlooking Buffalo Bayou. Her neighbor called her at 5.30 a.m. Sunday to tell her to move her car because the garage under their building was starting to flood. Half asleep, she took the garage elevator which trapped her inside which trapped her inside it when it hit the water. She was trapped for three hours with water rising from her knees to her thighs until one of her neighbors was able to pry open the doors. She was badly shaken but okay. Her car is still sitting underwater with Buffalo Bayou flooding both the garage and first floor condos in her building. The water is now only 12 feet below her balcony. Remember, she lives on the second floor. Mom is now staying with me for the duration of the storm, and we feel very blessed to have a dry place to live right now and good insurance to cover the losses. As Houstonians are now are known for their generosity and friendliness, we're also cheered by the many news accounts of neighbors helping neighbors and first responders working themselves to exhaustion. Many, many Houstonians and Texans are still in desperate situations with most roads still impassable and Harvey not expected to leave southeast Texas until Thursday. So would you please ask everyone to pray for all of us? Again, that is Becky Bowyer down in Houston. And you bet, Becky, that's why I wanted to lead off the show with this today. As some of you know, I'm close to the Cruz family. They are from Houston. Uh, and I've, uh, so I've, I've got some first-person accounts of what uh, has gone on down there as well as what has happened uh, and, and occurred in the media as well. And... Regardless of whatever else we're going to talk about here today, after this moment, or anywhere else on any other network or any other website or broadcast channel, it unless it directly involves life and death, and sometimes what we talk about does. You know, we talk about a nuclear North Korea going back into Afghanistan, Planned Parenthood. Sometimes those are issues of a life and death consequence. But barring those issues coming up today, Anything else we would discuss pales in comparison to what 
the people in this community in that part of our country are going through right now. So let's all make sure we take a moment and say at least one prayer for these people. First of all, for as much safety as possible. Secondly, I mean, just the valor and the chivalry. There's a powerful photo I saw today of a guy with a Confederate flag grabbing and saving as many people from various backgrounds as he possibly could. A member of the media saving somebody's life. And I I bring up those two examples because to certain flanks of the country, those who work in the media are anathema, and those who fly Confederate flags to the other side of certain sectors of the country are automatically anathema regardless of their, their individual character. They don't even get to have that weighed and measured. They're just instantly branded as those are bad people because the media is all fake news and I don't trust them. And everybody that would ever fly a Confederate flag would only do so if they're a racist, right? And yet we're watching in Houston now a lot of our stereotypes that we are attempting to rip each other's lungs out and, and tear apart our spleens over every day are being rejected and defied. What's the old saying? There's no atheists in foxholes. Well, there isn't any political correctness and there isn't a culture war in a once in a century flood event either. There's just human beings made in the image of God doing their best to survive and love their neighbors they love themselves so they just don't have outright disorder. And that's where if there's anything constructive that can come out of a moment like Houston, it is the stripping away of for a moment. Of, of the things and some of the things we argue and we are tearing ourselves apart are valid you know we don't we're not we're not always just tearing ourselves apart over trifle things sometimes they are existential things often though we exchange the trifle or the existential for the trifle for the trite but a moment like what's going on in Houston right now is a reminder When all those things are stripped away, pardon the pun, we're all in the same boat. And a house divided against itself cannot stand. And I just wanted to mention that here, gentlemen, at the top of the show, as well as Becky's clarion call in asking for everybody we know that we can reach to stop and at some point today say a prayer for the people of Texas, Todd. Yeah, one of the most uh, viral videos, and it's only five seconds long that I've seen so far, and it's just here in the wake of Charlottesville and racism, uh, very real racism, and then all of the imagined capitalizing on those moments to make fake racism fake racism oh go viral to score like you said the 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 trite political points is a uh, black man loading up his boat and about to get in the water down in houston and a reporter asked him where are you going he says i'm going to save lives and that thing is going all over the uh, place and rightly so because all pretense is set aside there are there are no games this is as real as it gets and this is a soldier uh going to do battle the best he can amen and i know uh these particular stories uh weigh heavily on me because of my own experience the most um resonating uh moment in the 12 years of my uh, journalism career was when I covered the floods uh, here in uh, Des Moines. Now, it wasn't the floods due uh, to a hurricane, and this is not a city the size of Des Moines, but our downtown has been flooded before. I saw things like water shooting out of the ground like geysers because Mm -hmm. it was so saturated. I've seen people, you know, uh, uh, looking at their house surrounded by water in tears. So, praise are prayers are absolutely in order because everybody's reality down there has been thrown upside down and in these moments short of faith it is hard to see your way through yeah it's amazing in in the span of one week uh, um an entire country goes from the awe and the wonder and the uh the majesty and i, I know we, we kind of poked fun at it but of, of the eclipse one day and then within the same week um, a, another natural occurrence like this can invoke fear and dread and, um, and danger uh, and lives lost for so many people. What Todd said at the, the end of his uh, monologue there is absolutely right. Short of faith, how can you make sense of any of this? It is good. 
it is it is good and that's an understatement to to see that there is good left in this country because every day and last wednesday's show was i think an example of this we can um we we can get pretty down uh on uh, either ourselves or about th- things that are going on outside of our control, but there is good left, and it's not good within uh, or good in and of the the people who are like going out and rescuing uh, others. It's that that good points to something greater than themselves, something greater than just. Um, their own political in- interests, as you just eloquently pointed out, Steve. It's good to see that. Good to see that there is still good. Both of you very well said. Let's give our audience, before we get to the uh, nuts and bolts of today's podcast, let's give them a little preview of what we did today on CRTV. Um, I, I, what really stood out to me about our television show today was the roundtable we had with Chris Pandolfo from Conservative Review. Uh, because you know, one of the big narratives we saw coming out of the Sunday morning shows this past weekend is essentially Trump versus Mitch McConnell now. You know, because that's all we care about in the media is the personalities. We don't. Who cares if the if the if the policies at stake are worth fighting for or are good for people or not? It's it's high school man. Who's up? Who's down? Who's popular? Who wears the class ring? Who who's taking whom to prom? Right. That's what it is. I mean, politics is like that is like those rankings and diary of a wimpy kid where you just move up and down in popularity, but it's popularity for popularity's sake. We discussed that quite a bit, not to give everything away, but if those of you that haven't had a chance to watch the TV show yet or taken advantage of promo code DACE, I think you're going to see a very fascinating debate take place about this whole conflict, alleged conflict between Trump and McConnell that I definitely think that's what stood out to me today. Todd, what about you? It was fascinating, and it turned out once we talked more, we we all agreed more than we disagreed. But ultimately, as as bad as Mitch McConnell would seem to be in terms of uh, polling and things like that, the man still sits in the seat he sits in for a reason, because he can sniff out the weak and the ineffective and the vacillating like no one's business, and you know this, Steve. And so here he is. And does any, is anybody really going to bet against him in this environment we are right in right now? It's it, it's the status quo moving right ahead. And I'm the guy who's been talking about how the status quo gets blown up all the time. But it seems like it's he's just keeping it real. What stood out to you about the TV show today, Aaron? Well, uh, I, I think it was a conversation uh, with Bob and uh, getting into um, we talked a little bit about Rex Tillerson. And again, this is this is a conversation you don't want to miss because as we find so many times in so many ways you would think that somebody would would figure it out that it's about worldview stupid and uh that's that's what I, the kind of the gist of what i took away from the conversation with bob as it pertains to to rex tillerson there's just only so far you can get with people who don't share your worldview hmm. That is a good segue to the rest of today's podcast. So uh, I talked about this last week. We're going to do it today. Uh, When we were still behind the paywall, we invited on a young law student who had been inspired to leave liberalism behind because of what he had uh, seen from Stephen Crowder, our, our, our peer, our teammate here at CRTV. Stephen Crowder's TV show got to this young man and, and, and caused him to kind of reassess his life choices, some of his values, some of his beliefs. And now he's trying to figure out, okay, if, I, if I'm leaving the, if I'm leaving liberalism, progressivism is behind, what is going to take its place? What is this conservatism you guys talk about? And he had been listening to some of our shows and podcasts talking about the nature of the law and where it comes from and, and who determines what the law is and how does that work itself out and, and theories of law from legal positivism to case law to natural law, et cetera. And he had some issues with some of the things we had been discussing on our show a few months ago. So we invited him to come on and have an open debate and dialogue. And I think you're going to find this conversation definitely worth listening to i wanted to reset it now that we have a a whole new sized audience we have been uh in the top 100 of itunes every day since we launched the new podcast last week so thank you very much for that which means we have a whole bunch of people with us now that didn't hear this conversation when it originally aired and we want to give you the chance to hear that right now well one of my favorite discussions we're going to have today 
Uh, and that is the law. And this is something we have done a lot of shows about over the years, going back to even well before I joined CRTV, uh, before I was syndicated nationally by Salem, uh, going back to when I was a local radio host in Des Moines, Iowa, on WHO Radio, because we lived in a state where even though the state of Iowa's constitution explicitly forbids judges from legislating from the bench, we had a state Supreme Court that thought it could do so and be its own constitutional convention, change the definition of marriage in the state. And we did something that uh, has not been done all too often in American history. We threw out judges not for um, moral malfeasance or crimes and misdemeanors, uh, but for political malfeasance, for, for legal malfeasance, constitutional malfeasance, for exceeding their jurisdiction. And so in order to be a part of that kind of an effort, this is something I've probably read just enough about or studied just enough about to be dangerous. However, our guest here on the podcast today thinks I need to read and study a lot more because he sent me this note recently. He said, I'm, I just got a subscription to CRTV. Asked for my feedback on your show. Your interpretation of the recent court cases involving Trump's executive orders on immigration, I think this is what this was about, and the courts in general has been horrendous. Judges can't decide immigration policy from you is a purposeful misinterpretation of what happened in these cases. And that's what drove me from TYTBS. I don't know what TYT stands for. Do you know? It's uh, the Young Turks, oh, I think. Okay. All right. So that's an acronym for them. Okay. From TYTBS to Crowder, I believe he means Stephen Crowder. If you need help understanding or explaining the opinion, I can help you. But at least as Dinesh D'Souza would say, present the argument fairly. So to be fair, I've invited the gentleman who sent this email to us to appear with us on the podcast. His name is Theseus Schultz. Did I get that correct, by the way? Yes, you did. Because as somebody who gets their name, people get their name wrong all the time, I'm sensitive to other people's names. Yeah, you got it right. That was impressive. All right. Theseus Schultz joins us now. So we want to welcome you to this, the podcast today. Theseus, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm doing well. Give us a little bit of your background. Who, were, who is Theseus Schultz? So I am a, a, I just finished up my second year of law school. Um, I'm in Baltimore, so I'm actually surrounded by liberals and Democrats all the time. Uh, I'm definitely, I'm a fairly conservative. And as I tempted to mention that email that was written late and was definitely not very clear, I was actually um, a big time Democrat until maybe a, uh, a year ago. Hmm. And then I started, and I was a big fan of um, the Young Turks. I'd watch them every day. And then they started, you know, creeping off the deep end, you know. And then I started seeing, I saw they had an interview with Dinesh D'Souza where their main guy got stomped. Uh, I started catching on a Steven Crowder show where they would say, hey, if you have, you know, a differing opinion, come on the show. Let's talk it out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, giving full context. And that really made me realize, wow, these Democrats have no idea what they're talking about. They don't like free speech because they know they'll lose. And that's real. And so now, like, I listen to Ben Shapiro's show every day. And I'm, I've now completely come on the right because of their openness. And I and yours, for example, of allowing, you know, encouraging opposing opinions and saying, let's talk it out because we know we'll win. You're in your second year of law school? I just finished it. You just finished it. Okay. Yeah. How often have you studied the Constitution since you've been in law school? I'm curious. So um, we, well, depending on the class, so obviously I've taken con law, um, con law one, con law two, um, which is uh, on just the first, the con law two is on the first amendment. I took a, um, I, an undergrad, I took a religion and law class and one of my professors actually uh, was on the side of Hobby Lobby mm -hmm. in their big case. He was on my, one of the, one of those lawyers was my professor. Um, so we went all over um, religious, religion and law, um, the lemon test, all that good stuff. But um, so depending on the class, you yeah, have a second amendment class, you know, so um, depending on the class, these amount, but some like professional responsibility, none. But yeah, some explicitly just on the Constitution. How often would you say there's the ratio thesis between in, in your law school when the, the actual wording of the Constitution and its context are discussed or... Um, judicial interpretations and precedents about what the Constitution's words mean, what would you say the ratio between those two things you study happen to be? Uh, can, uh, can I repeat your question so I make sure I understand it clearly? Do you study 
do you, are are you as a student? Are you studying the different interpretations of yeah, the Constitution? Yeah, yeah. Are you as a student? Are you in? Are, are the classes you take? Do they study the actual wording of the Constitution, and the context it was originally written in, as much or more than case law or precedents interpreting what the Constitution means today? I would say it's about a 60-40 split, um, focusing more on the case law and precedent um, because that whether it's right or wrong tends to have more power and therefore it tends to be a little bit more important or practical to know it. Well, your ratio I'm at is actually pretty good. Um, yeah, I was, we have a really good professor. Of course, the school doesn't like him, but <laughs> well, that's probably your first since you got a good one. But yeah. you, the there's a you know I've, I have had numerous friends go through law school mm-hmm. where they never studied the actual wording of the Constitution at any point at all. Mm-hmm. All they studied was case law and judicial precedent. And so the fact that you're even getting a, anything close to a sixty forty ratio, I think that's 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 good because obviously there's a difference between what is the actual wording of the Constitution and what do people interpret that it has meant over time. See what I'm trying to say? It was Ben Shapiro would say that what the word the words mean what they mean when they're said. Yes, exactly. So yep. so so. Before we get into the specifics about the immigration case, let's try to see if, if we're, where we do or do not have common ground, because right. that may determine where we go on that particular issue. Sure. If I were to ask you, what is the law? What would you give me as an answer? What is the law? What is the law? The law, as you're asking of a definition of law, what governs our society, what is the law is what's written down and what the words meant when they were said, when they were when they were agreed upon. Is that kind of what you're looking for? Okay. How do we know? But but sometimes we made laws when they were sent or they went when they were made that were bad, right? We made three fifths compromises. So we, we made, made slavery law. laws, right? And so at some point we decided that those laws, even though they were originally intended to be a part of our framework as a country, were bad. Were we right to decide those laws were bad? Uh, I think we, we as people were right to decide the laws were bad. Absolutely. Some of those laws are vile. But, and that's why we vote our representatives in to make new laws. Yeah. Okay. Or make an amendment. I agree with that. How would we know those laws are bad? By democracy and people voting. But people um, vote. But people voted. The people voted for those the, the folks that wrote those bad laws and have, and voted for people that gave us segregate segregate but equal in Plessy versus Ferguson. That people vote for bad people all the time. What if people vote for bad stuff? What do we do? Well, how do how do we and how do we even know it's bad? How would we know it's bad? Well, well, what's and if it's in the more abstract sense, it is in in each one of us to determine what's good and bad. However, we do have the Constitution. Um, despite myself really thinking of myself as an originalist, I do think judicial review is important, although it is uh, expanded. But I do think that, yeah, bad laws are then limited by the Constitution. Um, uh, McCain-Feingold was a bad law, and that was limited by the First Amendment. Um, and this is a United case, for example. What is the judge's filter for practicing judicial review? What is, his, what is the basis for his review? For judicial review? Yeah. When a judge, when when you say I, I believe we need judicial review, based on what we we are doing judicial review based on what is the basis for the review? In the Constitution, it, you know, it doesn't say in the Constitution um, judicial review at all. Um, so I, I, I'll, I'll completely concede that point. Um, however, um, that how I mean this may be f- fantasy or, or stretching a lot, but because in my layman opinion because the judicial branch actually has no enforcement power mm-hmm. um technically you know they, they can say and, and there's nothing inherently wrong with saying this goes against the constitution however if, if we were sticking completely within the constitution they could always say yes this guy would be guilty however the fourth it is also a violation of let's say the fourth amendment or whatever but they would still have to rule on the actual case and then it, because it's always up still up to the executive branch to execute anyway true it, it, it doesn't actually cause as much of a it, it doesn't cause as much of a um uh, an unconstitutional quagmire as some as, as some people have it does that make sense what, what, how i yep. kind of think yeah that? it does let me give you a, a, a for instance that is actual history go fifth amendment to the u.s constitution says no person will be denied life liberty or property without due process of law yep okay mm-hmm. dred scott sues for his freedom 
mm-hmm. says, I'm a person. I am entitled to those rights. The U.S. Supreme Court, a majority of them, looks at him and says, even though you are a person, we don't think because you're black that you still qualify as such and we'll treat you as property. Yep. What is the law? Well, I don't know. Well, uh, and forgive me, I don't know the exact law that Dred Scott was actually challenging in that case. Um, I don't I, I just don't know it. But if he were challenging it, then that would actually just be this. If from my understanding of that case, that's the Supreme Court not exercising judicial review because they're not saying this law is unconstitutional. Now, now it's still vile that he wasn't protected by it. But it didn't actually make the situation worse, unless I'm completely mis- misremembering. Well, the reason I brought up this case, Theseus, is because I want to figure out. I'm gonna. I'm, I, I probably should have said this. I'm gonna grant your point. Okay, that I, I will just for the sake of this conversation, I will grant John Marshall's point that judicial review is implied. That's a separate argument. I will grant it for this because it's not necessary to this discussion. So I will grant the point that judicial review is implied in the Constitution since you were kind enough to acknowledge those words never exist. But I will be kind as well. I will grant that it's implied for the purpose of this conversation. Okay, so here we have a case where the Constitution says Dred Scott's a human being. He's a person. He should not be denied life, liberty, and due process of law. Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court says, but we have statutes that have been passed that say you're not a person because you're black and mm-hmm. you're property, and we're going to uphold those instead. So mm-hmm. what is the law? Is the wording of the Constitution the law, which says no person shall be denied life, liberty, or property without due process of law, or is are statutes passed in certain sectors of the country that declare him because he's black as not a person? Are they the law because the Supreme Court said so? Which is the law? I would say that the Constitution would be the supreme law, similar to how the like if we had a, a conflict between state and federal law, you could ask the same question: What is the law on marijuana in Colorado? So we, example. so we are, we're both going to stipulate here: the Supreme Court got this one wrong. We're going to stipulate that. We agree? Yeah. They're wrong. Sure. Okay? They attempted to impose a lesser statute over the actual wording of the Constitution, which is a total violation of federalism. We both agree on that, correct? Okay. Yeah. What should President Lincoln have done? President Lincoln? Yes. What should he have done with the Dred Scott decision? He should have. Um, well, I'll have to look more. At what he should have done is I, I, if he should do well, one, he should get Congress to, I, I, if I was him, I would hope, you know, he would get Congress to work together to pass a law to overturn that previous terrible law. Right, but we, but we, but you also stipulated the he's executive for people that don't know it means executor. He's the executor yeah. of the law. So yeah. which law does Abraham? Which well, we oh. both agree that the law is actually what's in the Constitution. So if should Abraham Lincoln enforce the Dred Scott decision as the law? Um, I'd say, as bad as this sounds. I'd say yes, simply because it was it, at that point, it just opens the power for an executive branch to start disregarding both other branches of government, as horrendous as that case is. Tell me why uh, Tell me why you're more comfortable with unelected judges who are not accountable directly to people at all, having what you just told me and admitted to me is not constitutional, and actually impose slavery, why you think it's good to have unelected judges unilaterally impose what you and I both just stipulated to as fake law, but having Abraham Lincoln uphold the Constitution, which he swore an oath to uphold, and doing that and keeping his oath while you're more afraid of that. I don't understand. Um, As I, sorry, sorry, I'm working off this bronchitis here. That's okay. Take your time. So the reason, so I I mentioned this earlier, one, because the judiciary branch doesn't actually have executive power, that they could still say, you know, um, what was his, uh, Heller, Yes, Heller violated the D.C. law and should not have had a firearm. You know, um, well, actually, I don't think he actually had a firearm, but let's just say he did. Uh, Heller did violate the law. However, the law is in violation of the Second Amendment. And because there's no executive enforcement power there, we are, in the end, as I believe Andrew Jackson did, you know, the executive branch can disregard it. And so in the end, um, I w- I'm, how I think judicial review would actually work it would be more of just a uh 
although I know advisory opinions are unconstitutional, it'd be closer to that because there is no actual executive power risk of becoming tyrannical. You ever heard of the Gettysburg Address? Yes. Okay. You ever heard of the Emancipation Proclamation? Mm-hmm. Do you know what the Emancipation Proclamation was? I believe it just it freed the slaves in the South. Is that in the Yes. It essentially was an executive order against Dred Scott. It essentially was Lincoln's refusal to uphold and to execute the Dred Scott decision as law. He said, I'm not going to do that. Was was Lincoln in error for doing so? Uh, Are you asking me in the legal sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I. I, What other sense? Well, hold on a second. Theseus, what other sense would there be? Would you say there's a, were you going to say, or are you asking me in a moral sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you think there's a distinction between what's legal and what's moral? Absolutely. So then I ask again, what is the law? If there's a distinction between what's legal and what's moral, and people decide because your face is painted black, and there's a majority of us in a democracy that think we don't want to treat you as a person, that's the law, right? That's majority mm-hmm. rules. That's that, there is no moral component to the law, so therefore it's okay. Well, I was supposed to say the law is not okay, but it is nonetheless the law. However, it still be subject to the supreme law, which is the Constitution. What's a high, what if someone disregards the Constitution? Is there a higher law anywhere on earth than the Constitution, do you think? Where'd the Constitution get its laws? From the Magna Carta, but, you know, or, or you, some people say that, yeah, endowed by a creator, but, um, or at least for the Bill of Rights. But um, no, I would say no, there's nothing higher than the Constitution. So, with the Constitution had to get its laws somewhere, where mm-hmm. they get where they where they get this notion of people of of human dignity and worth, of freedom of religion, limited government. Where did these ideals come from? Where did they come from? Uh, well, do we have? Is there was there was there a document that preceded the Constitution that might tell us? Well, oh, well, I guess for the Constitution, there's well, there's the Articles of Confederation before that. Um, what was before <clears throat> that? What was the first official document of the United States of America? <coughs> Declaration of Independence. Is and what, is it, what does it say it got its laws from? It, where does it say it's, it's, it's right to rebel against a king who claims he has a divine right to rule? Where does it say it got its right to rebel against him from? Um, I'm not sure. It doesn't say endowed by the creator. And it, yeah, it says he got it from the laws of nature and nature's God. Then it lists 27 yeah. grievances that King yeah, right. George that King George is accused of in violating mm-hmm. those laws of nature and nature's God. So when they were up against what was considered <laughs> at that time the highest law, the British monarchy, and the British monarchy was compelling what they believed to be evil, what did they say was a higher law than what any government could say? Where you're going. Uh, they, well, they said nature's law or our things. Yeah, nature's law and what we're endowed by for our creator. But yeah. So that would be the highest law. That's the supreme law. That is the basis for where our laws, for all laws, actually come from, is from that law. Okay, I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So, so that that is the framework that I analyze this from, from all of these issues. From number one, number two, we have to ask ourselves: Is there anything a judge could possibly decree that is not act- that we should not actually do anything? We both just stipulated that Dred Scott was not the law, and that because it tried to supersede the Constitution. I agree with that. So, if you are a local governor of a state. Should you have enforced the Supreme Court's ruling on Dred Scott or the Constitution in your state, do you think? Well, once again, um, I I think because the Supreme Court, they weren't being, from my understanding of the case, which could be incorrect, please correct me, is it was not necessarily judicial activism in the in the classical sense that we think of because they weren't overturning a law. They were simply saying this law is already here. And what it, what not, is what is judicial activism in your view? What is it? Uh, I don't want to get too far off the weeds, but I'll definitely. I mean, and I, I just meant in the sense that um, how most people think of it as a, a judge. Well, I can see. Okay, I can see how you think that's judicial do you, activism. Do you, do, you, do you think the judges in the Heller case, who said the D.C. ordinance uh, violated the Second Amendment to the Constitution and overturned the D.C. ordinance, were they activist judges in your view? Um, I really don't like using the term active judges. I was just kind of using that how most people say it, um, using it just to maybe help people understand. I, I think uh, Scalia is the one who said that the term activist judge is, is for judges that you don't like. 
Um, Listen, if you, that's a great point. Listen, if you were Jewish in Germany in the 1930s, you'd want to find yourself some activist judges, if you know what I'm saying, brother. Know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, you yeah. want to. I mean, ultimately, judges are accountable to a law, a higher law too. When we swear yeah. those oaths, the final words are what? So help me God. Mm-hmm. So when you're a judge and and you have sworn <laughs> to uphold and defend the Constitution, and somebody attempts to pass a law that circumvents the Constitution, are you an activist judge for siding with the Constitution? I would say no. What would you say, Theseus? <coughs> I would say no. I don't okay. think that. I don't. I don't th- I think um, if if I were to give activist judge a definition, that would be actively deciding policy. Uh, well, this is okay. This is not. This is, um, you know, uh, this is not okay. At the at the risk of <laughs> of getting into the weeds again, I would say oftentimes Clarence Thomas himself can actually be an activist judge. Mm-hmm. Where um, and I don't have the case names off my head, where we'll often find cases violate individuals' rights, but we'll say, well, the government interest is compelling enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I were to give a definition, although I typically don't like using that definition, but if I were for the sake of conversation, it would be judges who instill what they think above what, above the Constitution. Tell me why you think a judge, a judge in Hawaii who believes he can determine America's immigration policy is not a perfect example of what you just defined. Great. Um, so the difference um, is that I would say is that in that particular case— Pardon me, I'm throwing a cough drop in. This thing's killing me. Uh, hey, I'm a talk show host, man. I've been there. I've had, I've done more than my share of shows getting juiced up on cough drops. So take your time. Okay. So the difference is in let's let, let me use a case that I have um, off the top of my head with Clarence Thomas, which I don't. I can't remember all the legal facts, but it was a girl strip searched at school because she thought she might have Tylenol on her. He says yes, is a Fourth Amendment violation. However, schools have such an important interest in getting drugs out that this is okay anyway. So, so th- and that's an example of where someone goes, this violates the Constitution, but I think it's okay anyway. I think that's different from saying this violates the Constitution, period. I think those are two different interpretations of – now we can just have different definitions, but I think there is a difference there in terms of who is an activist judge and who is not. So you think there's different kinds of violations of the Constitution? You think sometimes they're justified? No, no that, that, that's uh, not what I said. Uh, pardon me if I was unclear. Are we going with? Are we continuing with the purview? We're we're no longer debating whether the judicial review is constitutional or not. Or yeah, I'm not, I'm not. I'm going to grant your point because you okay. still have to answer for me. What is the basis for judicial review to occur when they're reviewing something? What is the basis for what? How they're reviewing it? What is their translator for their review? Their opinions, a statute, right, yeah. the Constitution, so, the highest law. What is the What is the basis by which I? The reason I took you around this and run is because I, I wanted you to see Theseus. What my basis basis for 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 right. interpreting these events are okay okay so i want to so, know yeah. what's the other side's basis then if they're not using the constitution then what is it because i don't so, see anywhere in the constitution where it says a district court judge determines america's immigration policy okay so let me i'm gonna if, if you mind i'm gonna give a kind of a longer answer and 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 as, as opposed to just a one-for-one answering your question so i can further elaborate of what i meant is that all right sure so what i was more saying in the email which was probably a little bit too rough was that it wasn't that that do you think judicial review is unacceptable, which is a fair opinion to have. Scalia had that opinion for a while, and then he, you know, didn't really have that later. But um, uh, it's fair for you to have that opinion. I, I, I think it's a very credible one, you know, and I, I granted a lot of weight. What, what what I thought was unfair about your interpretation is you just kept saying judges don't get the side immigration law. Judges don't get the side immigration law, which is not a fair interpretation of what actually happened in the case. What happened in the case was, and now, and let me put lay out my position just clearly. I think Trump's policy, I think Trump's policy was dumb. I disagree with it. Um, I do not think it was unconstitutional. I do think that judge made an error. However, I don't also don't feel like the coverage of the case was fair at all either. Um, and so the reason I'm telling you this is, while you may have a complete opinion of judicial review. There are plenty of conservatives out there who are in favor of judicial review, who love Heller, who love Chicago. I've, but I've, I've already granted you the point of judicial right. review. I've already granted you that point. Okay, cool. Okay, I, but I, so but but you just told me thesis. You believe the judge made an error according yes. to the Constitution. When, uh, ju- when judges make an error, what should we do? Just enforce their edicts anyway? What's the alternative? If it's a if it uh, we can impeach them through an impeachment um, 
caused, but that's obviously in that that. Should we take a when we know that a judge has made an error according to the Constitution thesis? Should we automatically should the other two branches of government, specifically the executive branch, should they immediately deploy that judge's opinion as the law, even though they know it violates the Constitution? Is that what we should do? Well, so here's so um, with that one, if it, it violates the Constitution, if it's blatant, then I would say no, and you can get work on impeachment processes very quickly. As I even said, that executive branches under my interpretation just review could would be free to ignore it because they have no executive power mm-hmm. um if it's blatant but now there's other things that are arguable now this case i don't think it was a violation well you well okay yeah under the lemon test of the first amendment kind of i think it was just a poor i don't know if it was necessarily if they interpret the constitution correctly i know it sounds dumb but i just don't think they applied the test correctly um and they just gave too much weight against donald trump which i do think is due to bias against Trump, which is also partially Trump's fault for attacking them, but that's another another issue. Um, But I think that they utilize the lemon test, which is the appropriate constitutional test to determine if there's an establishment of religion. And let me, if I can, if I can keep going with this, that's all right. um, Is that every, every, all the many right wing people came out and said, foreigners don't get rights. Foreigners don't get rights, which is absolutely true. Right. Absolutely. Unless, of course, they have visas. That's a whole other issue. But, you know, immigrants don't get rights. Fine. But that's not what the case was about. The case was about whether the Congress, Congress, you know, um, established a, a, a established a religion that in and of itself is a constitutional violation. And that's when they utilized that's when they utilized the lemon test, which is, you know, the three parts. You know, um, you know, like I know, of course, you know those. But the statutes have a secular legislative purpose. Yep. Blah, 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 blah. Yep. So, and I, I felt like, and now I still think the statute did have a secular purpose. I thought that was clear because Trump utilized the, the exact same countries that Obama named, um, or, and so I thought that was pretty clear. Despite Trump statements on "we will ban all Muslims," um, that doesn't mean that everything he does is anti-islam or anti-muslim so your your interpretation of this the lemon test for people that don't know and i'm gonna give a very layman's bare bones definition so our audience understands theseus the lemon test is essentially a liberal as pro liberal interpretation of the constitution from a secular lens that anything anything that does really anything to actually uphold they will tell you the establishment of a religion but they will often extend it to anything that actually defends the original intent of the first amendment is a violation of the lemon test it's for secularists largely and that this was a this was not a ban on countries that obama's administration specifically said were importing were, were threatening to import jihadists but it was a muslim ban based on what trump had campaigned on that is the, essentially which by the way i opposed because i actually believe in the original wording of the first amendment um but that this was a muslim ban and therefore it violated the lemon test by the attempt to favor one religion over another is that what you're essentially telling our audience was the basis for this I think you gave a really poor definition, a poor explanation of the lemon test. Come on, that, that was—I mean, let's just be real here. That that, that was not an even-handed way. The, you know, a real quick of the text: the statute must have a secular legislative purpose. I think we can almost all agree that that's even a good thing, not necessarily, you know, a. Uh, we, How we, can we, every we, statute have a secular purpose if the if the if our laws come from the laws of nature and nature's God? How does that work? Uh, I'm gonna. Uh, you can disagree with the lemon test. Fine opinion, but I'm going to read what the lemon test is so people can actually hear it. So, second, is primary or principal effect must be one that neither... Now we're back. Now we're actually back to the very first question I asked you. Exactly. How often do you study the actual Constitution, and how often do you study opinions about the Constitution? You want to treat the lemon test as if it's the Constitution, as if the, the architects of the lemon test know more about what the First Amendment is supposed to mean than the actual people, Theseus, who wrote it. And yet you say this while also telling me earlier in the conversation that you want to go by the original wording and intent of the Constitution. So explain to me how you can have a, a, a primacy view of the lemon test while at the same time saying that you're for the original wording of the Constitution. You can, you're welcome to a primacy view of the lemon test but you can't do that while also holding on to the original wording and intent of the constitution because it clearly doesn't go along with it whatsoever well and once again i I think we're kind of missing here i think you you're trying to point out my inconsistencies which is totally fair um how what i'm trying to state is that is that your coverage of the case was 
Well, I, I well, well now I understand why. This, because you and I were we're not having a fake news or factual conversation. That's why I wanted to start with a worldview thing. What's happening here is you have a view of the lemon test I don't have, and since you, and, and since you have a high view of the lemon test, your interpretation of how I interpreted these events makes total sense. Why you think I'm not being fair? I get that. Okay, well, I don't have a high view of the lemon test. I actually have a high view of the of the wording of the actual Constitution, Bill of Rights, and the laws of nature and nature's God, which is why I have the view of what the judge attempted to do here dramatically different than yours. It's a world. We just have a worldview difference. That's all. Which is cool. Right. Okay. So, for example, so like constitutional scrutiny, that's obviously not in the Constitution at all. Right. And you obviously and you just as a quick answer, you disagree with judicial review entirely. Is that correct? I wouldn't say that. In fact, I even I even granted your point. I'm not I'm not going against. I'm, all I'm saying is the judges have to have some filter by which they review things. Theseus. What is I, it? I get what, you're I get what, what are the ju- judge? Tell me. Tell me, Theseus. What are the what are the judges accountable to? What? So, so we keep getting off track here. No, here, we're not. Here. Actually, we're actually on the exact right track. Trust me. Tell me, Theseus, because this is something, Theseus, I have written about, debated on this show all over mm-hmm. the country. We're on the best track we could be on. Trust me. What are the judges accountable to, Theseus? What are they accountable to? Um, well, I, I see what you're saying. Cause I remember that exact episode. You're saying how, the, how what will it take Republicans to undo, you know, control the uh, judicial branch? The judges, obviously, because it's so hard to impeach them. Um, they're, I mean, ideally accountable to people, but it is so difficult to impeach a judge and pretty much political suicide to do so. So that, nothing, you, you believe practically they're accountable to nothing? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm not going to say, let me phrase, I'm not going to say yes, because I haven't thought about it enough. However, you make very good points that they are not accountable, and I recognize those, and I, I grant those weight. All right, here's what I'm going to do because I'm running out of time, okay? And I would, I'd love to carry, continue this at some point down the road if you want to because yeah. here's what I like about you. You are a critical thinker. You ask questions. You're willing to go against paradigms that are being force-fed to you. Mm-hmm. Don't change any of that. Even if you and I don't come to the same conclusions, okay? I'm much more interested in in why people think what they think than whether they actually think the yeah. same things I think if that makes any sense to you, okay? Mm-hmm. But the but here's here's the here's the here's the issue really. The issue really comes down to what is the law? How do we know it's the law? Where does it come from? If there are discrepancies in the law, who or what determines those discrepancies and and and, and settles them, reconciles them? Who or right. what are judges ultimately accountable to? Those are th- that's really the questions that we're wrestling with here. Not a specific opinion, but I'm I, almost out of time. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you the last word. Great. To say whatever you want. I'm going to give you the closing argument here before I, we bring our team in and sign off. Okay? So you get the last word. Go ahead. So while your opinions of nature's law are, are, and, and uh, yeah, you don't like judicial review and you don't think that the judges are accountable, I think those are all totally valid opinions. However, a lot of people, especially conservatives, don't share those opinions, especially when they go their way. Um, through Citizens United, through Heller, through Chicago, hopefully through Colby versus Hogan soon, um, the fourth circuit case of assault weapons. Quote, quote, assault weapons. However, by not, but because because individuals are okay with that, I think it's unfair for you to kind of skirt that point and just say they can't interpret immigration law when they utilize the lemon test, which some people might like. Some people may be. I think it's just. I think it's just better for you to say, or I think better for people if you say this was the test they used. This is how they did it. I think this is wrong. I don't even think this test should be used at all. But for those who do think just review, who do you know think da 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 da, that. You know, and, and who that way you can remain ideologically consistent that this is how it actually went. But I think you ignore that completely and just said immigrants don't get constitutional rights. Okay. Hey, keep listening to the show. Let us know what you think. I like the feedback, man. Thank you very all much. Right. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. All right. Take care. Take care of that bronchitis, too, man. I know that's a killer. Thank you. All right. Let's quickly, because we're about out of time here. Um, I promised he gets the last word. I'm not going to be one of those guys. Hey, here's why I think Every's gone. But you guys now have been sitting here listening to this for the last 45 minutes. So closing thoughts, Todd and Aaron, what do you think? Credit to uh, Theseus. Uh, uh, echo everything that you just said, Steve, that he is he is um, not just accepting the paradigm that's being or that's trying to be uh, shoved at him uh, the whole time. He is he is asking uh, good questions. He's asking questions uh, at least. So I, I, I really appreciate that about him. Uh, but you are absolutely right. At, at the end of the, the day. This either comes down to, um, well, this just comes down to what you believe is the highest law and who is accountable to whom 
within that paradigm. And you and Theseus, I, I think I can boil this down, you and Theseus, I think, just have different opinions of where that lies. Credit where credit is due. At a young age, you were exposed to something when most people just drink the Kool-Aid even deeper. I'm talking to Theseus now? Yeah. Yeah. You watched the show The Young Turks. You saw something that didn't resonate, and you decided to take another path that is yeah, I'm not, I don't agree with Theseus on the lemon test but I certainly right. like the way he handles the smell test right yeah. he's, he's, he's got his money on that one bravo I mean listen uh, uh, Steve's 43 I'm 44 uh, we're surrounded by sellouts on a daily basis you decided you know what life's too short I don't want to sell out bravo but while I will say most impressive I will also say you are not a Jedi yet you've got a long way to go and I hope you ponder the route Steve took you down because Steve is very comfortable uh, with an anvil and a machete and what he used today was a scalpel beyond that I will say we need to do things like this more it yep. showed the world how a real civil discussion can be done yes. without pulling a single punch agree I, I would listen guys I, I, we would do more of these all the time if we actually had opportunities so many Very times few people have the courage yeah so many yeah. times i've invited people to do what theseus did and they bail in fact to, to honor theseus a little more i invited him he said yes i forgot about it actually he came back to us not once but twice and said no i want to have this conversation all right so we're looking for more of that because as I've told you, we are in evangelism mode. We got to change minds. We're not in a silent majority. Let's go out and get our own tribe and overrun the other side. We can't do that anymore. We're going to have to win arguments. We're going to have to win hearts and minds. All right. And we have to listen when the other side has some compelling arguments as well. So I want to thank Theseus for joining us for today's podcast, for all of you for joining us as well. Don't forget to join us on the TV side of things where we will bust out a machete and an anvil every now and then. Until yes. tomorrow, John 317. Steve Dace. I like it, you.